Green, Green Left Weekly, Weekly Radio. Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning. You are listening to Green Left Radio, brought to you by FreeCR, 855 AM on your dial. And you're joined today by myself, Jacob Andrewafa. Yeah, hi, Jacob. And uh, I'm, I'm Chloe. Good morning to listeners. 3CI is being broadcast from the land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation, and we respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners, caretakers and custodians of this land. This land was stolen and taken by brute force, and sovereignty was never ceded. We join in solidarity with First Nations peoples, just a struggle for justice. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So what have we got on the show today, Jacob? So, to give a rundown for the program this week, we are going to be joined today by Brianna Dempsey from the Monash University branch of the National Territory Education um, Union. Um, And one of the reasons why we're going to be speaking to her is there's actually currently a lot of strike action um, being um, happening from um, Victorian um, universities. Currently, Melbourne University is in their second week of strike action. RMIT... Um, began a strike yesterday, and we'll have a strike all day today. So you can have a, um, you can visit them at Bowen Street at um, at Bowen Street at RMIT University, and then Monash University is also preparing for um, a week long or strike action for next week. So I think this is actually quite a positive development um, in terms of workers' kind of struggle, and especially it's in we're going to be finding out about all the kind of issues that are going to inform that. Then around 7.40, we're going to be speaking to Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition in Sydney to talk about the secret 2021 deal struck by the Morrison government and PNG governments for services to refugees left in PNG by Australia and the need for investigation. And then on 8.10am, we're going to be speaking to Les Thomas, singer-songwriter, grassroots activist and storyteller from Narn, talking about the launch of his new album. But first, let's go into some news headlines. And the first thing we want to highlight is uh, Jabrung Gunai Gunjitmara, Senator Lydia Thorpe, has been, and the government actually, has been threatened by Nazis. Um, and we all, and it's a, it's basically a neo-Nazi video in which a masked person reads out a threatening and racist message directed at the senator and the government. They burn a Aboriginal flag and give the Nazi salute. And we obviously want to condemn this neo-Nazi video. Um, federal MPs have come out to express their disgust with the video as well. And, you know, there have been laws, you know, there have been laws that have been announced to ban the public display or the sale of Nazi symbols earlier in the year in the state of Victoria, which, you know, has its own laws banning Nazi, um, um, you know, symbols and things. Um, in August, they introduced a new bill to outlaw performing the Nazi salute. But 
you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that even goes far enough because these neo-Nazis really know how to deliver hate speech and spread it all over social media and mainstream. And they have recently come out, you know, come after the trans community. We, we all um, know about this and shutting down, um, su- uh, successfully shutting down drag storytime events by councils. And this has really emboldened the far right in cancelling our free speech and this is what they're doing. You know, the Nazis are trying to shut down Lydia Thorpe's right to speak out as a progressive black Aboriginal woman. And yeah, they are become, they, you know, they have become a bit emboldened in this so-called progressive state. Um, a couple of weeks ago as well, a, a, a dozen neo-Nazis wearing black balaclavas and some were armed with knives attempted to gate crash an anti-fascist fundraiser held at Cafe Gummo in Thornbury. And there have also been recent protests in Sunshine against neo-Nazis who recently used a local boxing gym as an organizing and training center. So there's been pushback against that. Um, but there are a lot of things we can do to counter the hatred. But Jacob, did you have anything to say to say about this? Well, well to add up, um, to add a few things... I think this is actually a very dangerous development in a, in a lot of ways. And I think it's, it's very much showing, I think, the level of confidence that, you know, the neo-Nazis and the far right has in openly organizing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, to kind of note, there has been, there has been evidence of the far right organizing, not just in the inner city, but in some of the outer kind of suburbs. Um, in fact, campaign against racism and fascism have focused a lot of their kind of protests um, against the presence of an, a Nazi gym in Sunshine. Mm, just that, yeah. And there's also um, things I've also heard um, from people is there's also kind of a growing kind of far-right sort of presence in regional cities like Geelong. Mm. And a lot of them are organising on through... <laughs> a lot of them have kind of organised in the lead-up. Like this year, we've been talking about the whole transphobia issue. I mean, just like in the United States, the far right have been kind of using the issue of hating on trans people as kind of like a key kind of issue, a key kind of political issue um, to mobilise around. Now we're coming into the voice to parliament referendum and it's quite clear that the far right is also uh, util- using that as a means by which they can build up support for their, you know, very reactionary sort of ideas. Um, which I think is also what is what's making I think a lot of the the voice of parliament um, sort of discussion to be quite uh, a lot to be a lot more complex than what what is kind of happening. Because on the other hand, there's um, there's a good article um, by by Sam Rainwright on which has just been published on in Green Left, which is titled "After the Referendum: Continuing the Struggle for Justice." Because in the end, um, you know both both the, the kind of official yes and the official no campaigns are sort of based fundamentally on conservative agendas. And that's where it's kind of like, that's why I think, you know, it's, it is kind of, that's why I personally think it is kind of um, pers- politically important uh, to have a critical yes vote to the referendum because on the other hand, as limited and tokenistic as the Royce Parliament is, Fundamentally, the far right is organising around building support for their ideas from the no right, and I think there needs to be a kind of make there needs to be kind of a stand against that. Mm-hmm. But also, at the end of the day, as you kind of say, Chloe, I mean, 
all these sort of attempts by the government to kind of ban Nazi symbols and criminalize um, criminalize the, um, their organization actually doesn't really isn't really having any real impact on you know, challenging the growth of the far right. And in fact, the only way we can actually challenge the far right is actually through the mobilisation of ordinary people and the mobilisation of working class people standing up against these ideas. Um, because, yeah. because, you know, when you think about it, I remember there was a kind of interview, um, one interview, I remember one idea is that, you know, if you have these sort of reactionary sort of figures like appearing, like, you know, you have the likes of Marley Yiannopoulos and, these other sort of far-right figures. Um, if, you know, you have a full-wide community mobilisation in defiance of their ideas, people mm. standing up, you know, they ha- don't feel that, that... They feel less embodied, emboldened by um, mobilising, etc. And, of course, I've even there's even been an amusing experience where the far-right attempted to counter-protest a refugee protest. This was years ago, um, during Palm Sunday, and only 10 showed up against the weight of 10,000 to 20,000 uh, protesters. So I think, you know, this is that, I think that sort of is the lesson, that the key to this is people power organisation. That's right. And they are quite cowardly. I mean, they're, you know, in the video they're wearing hoods, um, not wanting to show their faces. We, we do want to express solidarity with Lydia Thorpe. It is very scary. Um, but there, like you said, Jacob, there are lots of, you know, we do need to mobilise against this. And, you know, there are lots of ways to counter the neo-Nazi hatred. I mean, right-wing extremists use the media to amplify their message. So if anyone out there sees a hate-filled message posted, try not to circulate it or repost, um, always report it to whatever media company is platforming or hosting that hate-filled voice and organise with the community to take it down. Like what Geelong did, um, the Norlane community pushed back against racist provocation when the Geelong advertiser gave front-page coverage to this tiny Nazi group. And what the residents did was they organised a Keep Geelong Diverse and Colourful you're welcome here banner. They organised like a banner paint and then those banners were held up outside the a council meeting. That These are some of the things that, you know, we can do, making our communities more engaged and engage in, in, in proactive tactics against white supremacy like calling for community-based countermeasures to stop racist extremism from spreading online and in communities and in, in traditional media channels. Um, you know, these are the anti-extremist measures that we can't, you know, we can't really expect from a militarised police force. Uh, in fact, when the anti-trans um, hate monger Posey Parker visited Melbourne a few months ago and stood on the steps of Parliament while Nazis gave the salute, we saw police protecting them and pepper spraying us who were protesting against them. So, um, yeah, just um, yeah, solidarity to, to Lydia Thorpe, and we'll be back with some more. We'll be back with our first. Um, yeah, stay tuned for our first interview with Brenna Dempsey from the Monash from Monash University branch of the National Tertiary Education Union to talk about the ongoing workers' strike.
Australia's energy market is broken. Right, but Co-Power gives you better energy? Nope, no retailer can control where the electrons they buy off the grid come from. But as a Co-Power member, you can vote on where 100% of revenue goes. So instead of corporate profit, your energy bill builds the world you want to be a part of. That's cool. Learn more about the solidarity economy and Co-Power today and take the power back. Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR supporter. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What you need is we got the hell. Lots of changes. We need more brothers. You are back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR and we are happy to have Brenna Dempsey join us on the show this morning. Brenna is a member of the Monash University branch of the National Tertiary Education Union. Welcome to the show, Brenna. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And uh, we've also got Jacob on the line too. Uh, Brenna, would you be able to just start off by telling us a bit about the ongoing protests by many branches of the Victorian Division of the NTU and the strikes happening next week? Just, you know, about some of the union's demands and, well, how long have workers actually been striking and, you know, calling for um, demands to be met? Um, So it's a bit of a mix across Victoria. Um, So some of the unions have been bargaining for about a year, like Monash has. Um, Others have been negotiating for less time. Um, But the demands are pretty sort of similar across all of the universities, and they centre around three pillars um, of fair pay, safe workloads and secure jobs. Um, And this is really um, an issue because of the structural and systematic feature of the universities, which is obviously a, a symptom of the fact that they've been corporatized and made into businesses um, rather than being education focused. Um, so we're seeking pay rises that keep up with inflation um, or at least close to inflation, um, secure working contracts, um, conversion for casuals, um, safe working conditions, including being paid for all the hours that people are worked for and not expecting people to work 70-hour weeks, um, whether they're paid for them or not. Um, and I think that a big part of this as well is secure jobs um, and, you know, reducing the amount of wage theft as well. There was nationwide about $100 million in wage theft recently, um, and that goes hand-in-hand hand with casualisation. Um, so I think that's one of the, the main things that we're fighting for at the moment. What can you tell us about the current kind of conditions? Um, like, for example, the impact that staff working conditions have on student learning experiences. And, of course, 
what are these, what is kind of like the real kind of impact that these difficult conditions have been having on um, workers that work at the university? Because I've been hearing of um, attending some of the University of Melbourne kind of strike actions. Uh, there has been a lot, uh, a very recurring theme has been this whole uh, issue of working conditions. Yeah, I think it's really clear that staff working conditions have an impact on student learning experiences. Um, one of the things that we've heard a lot about from members is that when they're on a 12-week contract, which is obviously just for a semester, if you've got assignments in that unit that are due in, you know, the exam period or they have students have an exam in that unit, the teaching staff on 12-week contracts are cut off at the end of the semester. So you can't contact your teachers if you've got questions about the exam or the assignment if it falls after that period. So I think that's one really big thing that students have noticed is that they just they can't get in touch with their staff if it's outside of the semester, if they're on those casual contracts. Um, and then I think that another thing that we've seen, there was a ranking release. I can't remember which one it was, but there was one released recently that had Monash ranked lower on student experience. And, you know, I think that just shows that it's a direct result of the teaching conditions and the way that staff are being treated. We've got class sizes increasing with, in some cases, one academic for more than 30 students in the class. So you're just not getting that sort of one-on-one experience, not even one-on-one. You're not getting any sort of teaching experience, really, when there's that many people in the class. Um, There's, like, limited paid time for teachers to mark assignments. So... There's no chance that you're going to get decent feedback on your assignment. You just get, yeah, good job, you know. Um, so that's not beneficial to students to be able to know what mistakes they've made, to learn from their mistakes. There's no sort of growth in that. Um, and I think also um, teachers are just so overwhelmed that they can't, they can't sort of be dedicated to their work in the way that they'd like to be. Um, Obviously, that's focusing predominantly on the academic side of it, but there's an impact on the professional staff as well that they um, have so many admin tasks to do to keep the units running that they can't answer student emails, they can't deal with um, student crises in the way that they should be and would like to be because they just don't have any time. There's so much work to do. And then I think on top of that, if you're in insecure work, it's really hard to feel proud of your job and to feel like you want to be working there. And and I think that has an impact as well. Obviously, our staff want to be doing the best that they can, but when they're completely burnt out and worried about paying the rent next week, then that's going to be really difficult for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people are always going to do their best work when they feel safe and secure and happy in their jobs. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, Brannick, would you be able to touch on, you know, or talk a bit about the hypocrisy of management, especially during a cost of living crisis? Uh, because, you know, they have funds, um, they have a lot of funds to give out, give to the outgoing vice chancellor. Um, and it's an above inflation pay rise, but they are offering teaching staff a pay cut. Um, Yeah, so 
It's really interesting that you mention that, actually. So our recently departed vice-chancellor, who's um, now taken a significant pay cut to be the governor of Victoria, um, was on a $1.4 million salary every year. Um, that's just... I mean, that's just an astonishing number, really. You know, paid more, I think, than the Prime Minister and the Premier of Victoria combined. Um, so I just think that's astonishing and crazy that someone can be paid that much. Um, but the other thing that's interesting about that is that um, Monash at the moment has been claiming that they've got a $113 million deficit, um, but the way that they've sort of managed to make that happen is by donating $116 million to their internal trust fund. Um, and it's pretty unclear where exactly that money goes and what it's used for in the trust fund, probably you know, buying more paintings and buildings and things like that. Um, but it's a way for them to be saying that they haven't got any money and, you know, the university needs to tighten its belt and so do all staff, um, when actually it's just like an accounting trick um, to move a bit of money around. Um, I think it's a, it's a slap in the face to workers um, because, you know, our members are the people on the lowest incomes and the most insecure positions at the uni, and they're the ones who are actually face-to-face -face with the students, the people that we should be caring about, who are supporting the university, who make the university run, um, and they're bearing the brunt of the workload, but they're not being paid or recognised for that. And... Um NTU branches around the country have secured um, new agreements with decent pay rises and other entitlements. And I guess what has been kind of the mood among union members right now? And I guess probably one when we interviewed actually an NTU Melbourne Uni member about the strike a number of weeks ago, one of the kind of lessons uh, that he sort of gave, um, that he sort of expressed was. Um, Every time that the NTU has kind of organised an action or a protest, they've actually kind of built support for the union and they've actually drawn new members in. And I guess, yeah, I want to kind of hear about your sort of political experience with some of that. Yeah, it's definitely been encouraging. Um, I mean, we've been in bargaining for 12 months um, uh, now and... Our agreement expired in June of 2022. So it feels like it's been a very long process. Um, and we get a little bit jealous, actually, when some of the other universities um, secure good deals quicker than we've managed to. Um, but, yeah, it, it is invigorating to see that. Um, I feel also I should point out, though, that although they've gotten decent pay rises, they're still not actually above inflation. So... They're better than what we're being offered, but they're not really brilliant. Um, but they, they definitely have gotten some other entitlements and leave and things like that that are really fantastic. Um, and obviously it's great to have it, you know, the process actually finished, unlike ours, which is dragging on for quite a while. Um, I think also, um, like especially with Melbourne, we've been keeping a close eye on... Um, their actions and supporting them as well. And it was really fantastic to see Melbourne go on strike for a whole week. Um, at Monash, we'd love to do that. Um, Melbourne just have better density and better um, higher membership than we do. Um, but that's something that we'll build to if, if we need to, if this drags on longer. Um, 
But yeah, we have seen a growth in membership. Every time we have a strike action or we're out on campus doing something, we definitely see um, a slow uptake in members joining. Um, I think that it's been really important, especially for our upcoming action, that we remind people that they can't join if they're not a member. You can't take protected industrial action if you're not a member of the union. So you might see that we're about to go on strike and get really excited about that, but you actually have to join the union to be able to participate. Um, so it is um, a good way to get members in by by taking action and by being seen. Um, it does really help us. Um, I think one of the other things that's been really important for our members is that one of the forms of protected industrial action that we can take um, is to make statements. Um, and it sort of sounds a bit vague and not very impactful, but it's been really effective with our academic staff because they're sitting in class with their students and they are allowed to just explain to them what's happening and why we're taking action and why their tutorial is cancelled next week and why they're not replying to emails on this day. And the students are really on board with that. They're really supportive of that. And, you know, staff have been trying to find ways to not cancel classes and the students are like, no, if you have to cancel the class, you cancel the class. You've got a better pay and conditions and this is the way that you need to do it. Um, we've seen a lot of solidarity in that from other unions, from student groups. They're always out with us on campus when we go on strike, um, which is great to see. Um, they, I think they understand that the conditions that their staff are working in directly impact their learning. They see that. So, you know, they want to support us um, and they want to see change, which is great. Yeah, definitely. It all sounds really inspiring, Brenna, and it's been great having you on the show. But before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share? Maybe, you know, also let us know the best way we can show solidarity with, with you and, and the other workers. Yeah, awesome. Um, so we have a strike fund going for our strike next week. So if people can donate to that, that would be fantastic. Um, there's a link to it on our website and also in the bio of our Instagram. Um, we'd love people to follow our Instagram as well. It's new, so it looks a bit sad with so few followers, um, but it's growing slowly all the time um, and we'll be posting, you know, content from the strike um, on that and also details of where exactly we're striking because um, we're on strike from midday on Monday to 11.59 on Wednesday of this coming week. Um, and we're going to be at Caulfield and Clayton on those days. So Clayton often feels like a bit of a hard slog for people mm. to get to. Um, but, yeah, we will have actions at Caulfield as well, which is slightly nicer to get to. Um, so if people can follow us on Instagram um, and come along to some of those strike actions, that would be great. Great. And just chuck us the... Uh, fundraising link if you can Brenna and we'll upload it when we upload the podcast so people can find it easily awesome will do and thank you so much for your time Brenna and solidarity to you and all the workers fighting for better working conditions no worries thanks for having me on thanks and you were just listening to Brenna Dempsey um, who is a member of the Monash University branch of the National Tertiary Education Union, the NTU. 
And we were just talking about the strikes happening. There are going to be some strikes happening next week, so we encourage everybody to support them. Uh, we're just going to uh, stay tuned. Um, where we'll come back after a short break. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And we're just going to go to a song. And this suggestion um, is taken from Matt Ward's music column in Green Left's 10 new albums that will inspire you to fight. So thanks, Matt, for putting together this great um, music column for us every month. The song is called Living in Peace, and it's by an artist named Rahul Rajhawa. I hope I pronounced that correctly. This new album tunes for the jungle from queer Indian, from this queer Indian pop star. Uh, he's been standing up for his fellow villagers as the Indian government pushes urbanization. And Raj Hawa sings for the animals who are endangered by such industrialization. So I hope you enjoy listening to Living in Peace. Yes. Okay. Living in peace. Who would have knew it would have been so complicated? Living in peace together. Yeah. Living in peace together. Who would have knew it would have been so complicated? Living in peace together. And the animals to therapy We keep on shooting so they're scared of you and me You take safaris but they're getting out of sea Uncle with the camera say why don't the tiger come to me Yeah <laughs> How would he come to you? Now that's a rare sight Bullets versus teeth that ain't a fair fight We call them animals but we the ones that bite Bite first I know change Don't come overnight I'm 
complicated living in peace together. just listening to a song by Rahul Rajhawa and um, that was Living in Peace. Um, so yeah, we hope you enjoyed that. And now on to some, some more news. Yeah, so this is quite a, um, a, quite a positive development. So in addition to the Stop Black Deaths in Custody's rallies that are happening over the weekend that have been called by Lydia Forp and the uh, Black Sovereign Movement, there is actually going to be a national strike by the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. And they're ta- and the context for this industrial action is after negotiations with Coles and Woolworths um, over paying conditions falling through, workplace bans have, and this has been reported in Green Left, but work bans have been in place at Woolworths since September the 22nd and came into effect at Coles on October 5th. Uh, the ban includes not packing lost items, not cleaning up bodily fluids or cleaning toilets. A two-hour stop work is scheduled for October 7th at 10am and there'll be demonstrations at select locations across the country. Now, to give a bit of a, a, a sense of some of the demands that RAFU is is demanding, they're demanding things like a living wage of $29 an hour. In fact, despite the fact that, you know, supermarket um, workers actually work quite long hours and, and they have, they've generally are, pa- are some of the lowest sort of paid workers in the country. Um, so a living wage of $29 an hour is actually quite an important demand in a lot of ways. They're also, um, calling on the abolition of sub-minimum wage rate, rates for juniors, um, workers with disabilities and trainee, trainees and improved penalty rates and improved job security. Now, in response to against uh, in response to this industrial kind of action, Coles has actually taken aggressive measures against RAFU members, including instructing bosses to stand down anyone engaging in the bans. This effectively means that RAFU members at Coles will not be paid if they're engaging in any action. And at this stage, at the time of writing, um, this could have um, changed since then. But Woolworths has not taken such aggressive measures at this time. And, and if you go onto the RAFU kind of website, there's actually going to be, um, there's actually going to be a protest going to be happening, um, where workers are going to be gathering from 10 a.m. So if you happen to be in Melbourne, all workers and supporters are encouraged to gather at the coal, at coal Spencer Street near Southern Cross Station. And yeah, we're basically, they're encouraging people to meet outside the store. So that's going to be happening from 10 a.m. And on in Gippsland, um, if you happen to live in Gippsland, there, if you go to Coles and Stralgon Central, all workers and supporters are encouraged to meet outside the store. And if you get, a, if you end up listening to this on in our podcast, um, you can find out the different locations across the different states in New South Wales, Queensland, and Western Australia, and ACT. So yeah, I think this is um this is quite a good, mm. a positive kind of development in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think this is actually. 
To my knowledge, this is the first time that RAFU has organised a strike of this scale. So, yeah, we want to wish all the kind of solidarity with um, with RAFU in their ongoing um, in, in their ongoing fight. Yeah, we hope they get all their demands met. And supporters are also encouraged to donate to the union's fighting fund here. I mean, if the workers are being threatened with no pay just for taking industrial action, which, um, you know, the successive governments have done a really great job of um, making sure that a lot of anti-union, anti-worker um, laws are in place. So, you know, workers often feel very intimidated to take action. So this is a really great development. You can go to the Chuffed website. It's called Support the Rafu Strike Fund for Supermarkets Workers. We'll also include a link in our podcast, but there's a link in the Green Left article. It's called National Calls Worth Strike. So you can just read a little bit about, um, you know, the the strike and what they're demanding. I, I worked for Coles for about... I think it was seven or seven years while I was at high school and university. I remember getting paid something like six, six or seven dollars an hour. And they do love to hire lots of young, young people, lots of casual workers. They're, you know, they're, they are responsible for the casualization of the workforce, these two big, um, supermarket chains. So. Yeah, we ask everyone to support support the workers over the weekend. Um, we are going to go to a quick break, and up on the show next we have got Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition to talk about Australia's secret PNG deal. So stay tuned for that and more news on Green Left Radio 3CR. <laughs> 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3CR.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. You are back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR and we are now joined by Ian Rintoul from the Refugee Action Coalition in Sydney to talk about this secret deal um, struck by the Morrison government 
in 2021 um, with the PNG governments uh, for services to refugees um, who are, have been left behind in PNG. Uh, and, you know, there's there's a need for an in- investigation there. Welcome to the show, Ian. Yeah, morning, Chloe. Good morning. Would you be able to start by giving us a bit of a background as to what's actually going on in regards to this secret PNG deal and some of the corruption that's been uncovered? Yeah, sure. Uh, the uh, the deal relates to um, an arrangement between the Morrison government and the PNG government, uh, December uh, 2021, and uh, it was uh, the, the agreement which uh, finally cut the, well, supposedly cut the connection between the Australian government and PNG government. And what the, both governments have said since then is that the people who have been left behind by Australia in PNG are now solely the responsibility you know, of the PNG government. Uh, but the terms of that agreement were never made uh, public, uh, still have not been made public, in spite of requests to the uh, now you know, Labor government uh, to uh, you know, put, the, put the, the, the details of that agreement into the public arena, but they've, they've not... Uh, They've not done that. Um, so, and since that time, since uh, December 2021, uh, you know, kind of both governments have said uh, we've got absolutely no responsibility whatsoever for you know the the refugees and asylum seekers that are still in Papua New Guinea. And um, it's meant that, for example, uh, whereas the government, uh, both the Liberal and Labor, were willing to uh, look at uh, people being brought from Nauru. Uh, to Australia, even though they've kept you know, Nauru open, as we now know, there's some more people being transferred there. Um, but uh, PNG, they've not been willing to bring even the uh, the sickest people uh, from you know, Papua New Guinea to Australia for you know, any kind of medical you know, medical treatment. And now uh, the issue that we, we raised at the time is that the, there is no way in the world that the PNG government has got the money, uh, the capacity, or the political will actually to support, uh, there's only around 62 people now in Papua New Guinea, but at the time um, it was up closer to 100, but there's uh, no no way in the world they've got the capacity uh, or the funds to actually provide the support for the refugees that they're going to need over the length of time they're going to need it. And <laughs> even in December 2021, we're saying the money's going to run out, um, and when the money runs out, uh, the support for the guys you know, will, will run out. Uh, so what seems to have, that, and that is what seems to have happened, uh, that the, the money's run out. Uh, we believe certainly some of it has been, you know, siphoned off out of uh, various arrangements between uh, the, uh, the uh, officials in Papua New Guinea and the supposedly, uh, you know, refugee service, you know, providers. But uh, we've started to see lots of you know, people being moved around accommodation. Last week we saw the first uh, actual eviction, although it's not the first time people have been evicted. Uh, people have been evicted and shifted from one lot of accommodation to another lot of accommodation. But, um, you know, one Afghan family uh, was actually evicted uh, last week before accommodation was found, and that's, you know, exposed, you know, what the... We think as the uh, the problems uh, with the with the with the secret deal, although we still haven't got the, the terms of the secret deal public yet. And what can you say about how does this? What does this kind of lack of transparency and oversight mean for refugees in terms of their lived experience? Uh, well, it means that they're t- tremendously vulnerable. I mean, it's just uh, it's pretty hypocritical when 
you've got uh, you know Claire O'Neill and uh, you know Andrew Giles, you know, in the very very concerned about you know the vulnerability of you know, people on temporary visas uh, in Australia and big announcements about you know what they're going to do about the visa processing arrangement in Australia when you've got you know, perhaps the most vulnerable people that are you know in in their care are still in Papua New, Papua New Guinea. There are people there who are too sick to actually engage with. You know, refugee uh, authorities have got no pathway whatsoever to any kind of, you know, permanent resettlement uh, anywhere, and yet the, you know, the government turns, you know, a blind eye to that. I, I think the other thing which I think needs to be highlighted is is the secrecy of the, you know, of the deal. Like no, neither PNG nor the current Labor government has been willing to make the terms of that deal. Yeah, public. Uh, so in that regard, all, all the, you know, we've heard come out about, you know, Pizzullo and the general carries on the, you know, secrecy about offshore matters. I mean, we know what the Morrison government, why they operated in secret terms, because they didn't want any of these things, uh, to be, to be, to become public. Um, when I think it's very clear when you look what's happening in, Papua New Guinea that the secrecy of that deal has has provided a scope for corruption for refugee providers to be shuffling refugees from you know one set of accommodation to another set of accommodation uh, because the next set of accommodation is uh, owned by a crony you know by a relative which means that they can cream you know more you know more money off uh, so it does mean that there's still no future for the people, you know, the, for the refugees in Papua New Guinea. We also understand, although again the terms of that are not uh, are not public, is that the contract for the medical care, which is with uh, PIH, uh, the Pacific International uh, Hospital in in uh, Port Moresby, is uh, that's also running out at the end of the you know, end of the year. Well, that that's really disturbing, Ian. That that um, medical care is is you know, might be cut off too, um, and that refugees are being evicted from um, accommodation right now. You, you did touch on, you know, some of the response of the government, but the Labor government is now complicit in this, in Morrison's secret deal um, failing. Yeah, it's, their, and it's their deal now. It's their deal, yeah, it's their deal now. And, I mean, the Morrison government was also one of the most secretive governments, but now... You know what? What has been? I mean, we know that um, ministers like Claire O'Neill, you know, love to you know come on the news and you know talk about temporary protection visas and all the good stuff they're doing. But what has actually been their response to this? Have, have they actually said anything, or they still do they still want to keep it under wraps? Um, they absolutely want to keep it under under wraps. Uh, I mean, there've been approaches, uh, you know, since you know, since they were elected, about the concerns with the deal. There've been lists of people, the people who would not have been able to engage, for example, have been put before them on more than you know, more than one occasion, uh, both from you know, from people in Papua New Guinea and from you know refugees, uh, you know, groupings in you know, in Australia. So they know very well, you know, what the situation is. There've been you know, specific approaches, um, you know, about people who are who do need seriously need uh, you know, medical you know, medical treatment uh, to request you know, individual you know, sort of transfers from Papua New Guinea to Australia for medical treatment, uh, and the Labor government has insisted uh, they have no responsibility because of the agreement that Morrison struck in you know, in, in 2021. So they've relied on that agreement in the same kind of way that Morrison did. Uh, that Australia has got no, 
yeah, responsibility. So it's been a very convenient way for the government, uh, the Labor government, to avoid taking the responsibility for the refugees, which ultimately they are responsible for sending, yeah, for sending, yeah, for sending there. So they have a very particular responsibility. Um, for the fact that they did send them there, they've got the capacity to bring them back, and there's a, a secret deal which is beginning beginning to unravel. I think the problems are, you know, are very obvious. Uh, that the uh, PNG government, for the first time, uh, actually put out a statement last Friday saying that uh, they were going to be approaching the uh, the Australian government and our Labor government uh, for funds uh, to um, for the what they say is you know the final final tranche of. Uh, money that might be necessary uh, to you know to support the guys who are who are still there. I mean, it's very clear that they've been there longer than they anticipated. I think <laughs> that you know the money's run out. Like and, over ten uh, years, some of them have been yes. there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, 2000, 2013. Mm. That's how long they've that's how long they've been there. So the money's running out. The services are running out. You've got people in the hotels now who having to pay for their own electricity, their own gas, their own Wi-Fi, all out of a, uh, a very limited, uh, you know, sort of a living living allowance, uh, which has been eaten into by cost of, you know, cost of living increases in uh, in any case. So no matter which way you look at it, you know, the, the Labor government now has got a responsibility for refugees who are in an increasingly, you know, precarious situation. And what can you talk about? Talk to us about some of the demands that re- um, refugee rights activists are demanding, and you know, also some of your thoughts on how what is needed to strengthen the movement and bring um, bring bring the account uh, the government to account around holding responsibility for these refugees. Well, I guess I guess the. It's, uh, Two or three things, I guess, but no, in no particular order, because on the one that we do think the terms of the secret deal need to be need to be made public. Uh, I think it, ha- it has facilitated corruption in uh, in Papua New Guinea. There are refugee uh, service providers. Uh, I believe there are PNG officials who are lining their pockets out with money provided by the Australian government for refugees, which is being you know, <coughs> lining you know, lining lining their own pockets and not going to those not going to services. So the terms of the deal need to be made. Need to be made public, uh, the, but I think beyond that, uh, really, our argument is that the people they shouldn't be there. Uh, they should have never been sent there in 2013. They need to be brought uh, to, you know, to Australia. And I think that's the demand that the refugee movement uh, needs to needs to put forward. And it, I think we need to take advantage of the uh, situation now. Um, I know you've got a uh, there's a protest in uh, in Melbourne on uh, there's two days, the 8th of October, yep. 2 p.m. at the uh, State Library, uh, it's around permanent visas uh, in Australia, but it raises the, those same demands, raises the issues about, you know, Papua New Guinea, the permanent visas in Australia. Uh, part of that demand is for the people who have been brought here from Papua New Guinea and Nauru and are still living on, in, on temporary visas in Australia. Uh, so we, we need to use those opportunities, I think, to raise Australia's responsibility, to insist that, uh, to the, we're not going to clean up Morrison's Act. We're not going to have a genuinely humanitarian refugee policy in Australia until the people in Papua New Guinea are brought here. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show, Ian, this morning and for all the work you do in the refugee movement. But before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to let listeners know? 
Um, I think we've covered a lot, covered a lot, Chloe. But I think the main thing to get across is that there is a massive amount of um, un, unfinished business. For all the announcements that are being made, you know, from the Labor government, uh, we've got uh, you know Tamil and Iranian women walking from mm. Melbourne to Canberra. We've got protests at Claire O'Neill's office in Melbourne, Anthony Albanese's office in uh, in Sydney. It's very, very clear. There's a lot of unfinished business, and now we've heard they've taken 11 people uh, to you know to Nauru. So after the tension is still there. The issues about the protection visas and the, and the proper asylum arrangements in Australia are still there. We've got people who desperately need help in Papua New Guinea. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time, Ian. Thank you. And you were just listening to Ian Rintoul from a spokesperson from the Refugee Action Coalition in Sydney and also from Solidarity talking about this uh, secret PNG deal. I urge uh, people to read a little bit more about it and we'll be covering it in Green Left. But if you go to the um, Refugee Action Coalition website, there is a media release. You can read a bit more about it. We're going to come back after a short break. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And now we're going to go to a song. Uh, we are actually going to be interviewing the singer of this song, Les Thomas, uh, on, for our next interview. So stay, stay tuned for that. Uh, the song is called Bring Down Babylon. And it's from Les Thomas's, um, who's a grassroots activist and storyteller from Nam. It's um, from his latest, his new album, All My Friends Are Superstars, which is being launched soon. Um, so we hope you enjoy enjoy listening to it. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. This is Bring Down Babylon by Les Thomas. <laughs> The gateway to the city There are children dressed in rags Merchants look the other way As they fill their carpet bags And I've lost my appetite Amidst these sorry scenes I only wanted something to believe As you lay your hands upon me I've never felt so strong And I know you won't disown me As time keeps dragging on It won't be long Till we will hear that siren song That's when we'll belong 
and nothing can go wrong. We'll bring down Babylon. Bring down Babylon. When I saw the hanging gardens, I was holding back my tears. Found the ruins of the tower that was conquered by the years. How could they prosper in this place of grief and life? Such a world away from paradise. As you lay your hands upon me, I've never felt so strong, and I know you won't disown me. Time keeps dragging on, won't be long Till we will hear that siren song That's when we'll belong And nothing can go wrong We'll bring down Babylon and on and on and on We'll bring down Babylon and on and on and on and on We'll bring down Babylon Felt so strong, and I know you won't disown me. As time keeps dragging on, it won't be long till we will hear that siren song. That's when we'll belong, and nothing can go wrong. We'll bring down Babylon. You were just listening to Les Thomas and his track Bring Down Babylon here on 3CR Green Left Radio. And we're just going to go into a bit of news before going to the Green Left calendar. I um, wanted to bring up um, just a bit about what's been happening in India. There were some police... Um, Sorry, let me just get my... Um, so Indian police raided the homes of journalists um, in this in this illegal funding probe. And I'm just reading from uh, the All India Student Association, um, their sort of solidarity statement, The and for short they're called ISA, but the All India Student Association, they're a revolutionary student organisation in India who Jacob and I are both familiar with. So they have, and we also condemn these raids against journalists and news click. Um, and yeah, basically journalists and news organizations that have covered the farmers protests and have been covering and exposing the anti-people policies of the Modi government have been raided by the Delhi police um, recently. 
and it's under false charges of this unlawful activities prevention act of 1967 or the UAPA and among amongst other charges and so many of these journalists are with newsclick um i would read out all the names but actually it's quite quite a few names um writers journalists um activists um a lot of them satirists they were um their all their homes were raided the modi government has been using the unlawful activities prevention act to imprison and suppress the voices of pro people and democratic voices of the country including civil rights activists and lawyers and writers and now they're turning towards they're turning their uh, attacks on journalists to intimidate and harass them and um it's it is they are it it's becoming uh, you know worse because they are trying to they're working harder to ex- expose this corruption of the Modi government and elections are coming up next year so things are getting um you know pretty dangerous for for journalists and these um these time these raids are coming at a time when the government and the BJP MPs have been dog whistling against um um organizations like newsclick in the parliament so um yeah taking taking um ISIS's message into account we must stand united against these raids and attacks against journalists which are being repeatedly carried out um and india has in the last you know few years seen this decline in their freedom of press um and yeah it's it's very alarming that <laughs> that this has happened Yeah, and, and just to give a bit of background to this, you know, this is all kind of this story. I mean, we've actually, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot you can kind of say about the authoritarianism of the Indian government, uh, especially in terms of its Hindu supremacist um, sort of politics, and also, you know, this this raid on NewsClick is also very much, I think, it's very much part of an attack on the left within India because. Mm. For those who don't know NewsClick, NewsClick is actually probably one of the most important sort of media publications in India in terms of its reporting on left-wing politics. Um, and in fact, this is actually not the first time that NewsClick had had been raided. Um, NewsClick has actually been uh, persecuted uh, for its coverage of the farmers' protests back in 2020 to 20, yeah, around 2020. Mm. Uh, so, and of course, back then it was sort of called anti-national by the Indian government for its coverage on uh, the Indian farming um, Indian farmer protests but there's actually another there's another insidious sort of link um just one sort of one of the backgrounds for why this raid actually did happen was because the New York Times um a classic sort of liberal you know um centrist sort of source in the United States basically they had this report that had alleged that you know, the website had received funds from U.S. millionaire Neville Roy Singham, who the Times said had sprinkled its coverage with Chinese government talking points. Um, so, in a sense, this is a this is very much part. This raid very much is sort of part of this sort of anti sort of China anti sort of Chinese sort of hysteria. And also, it's quite. I also think there's a quite a lot of hypocrisy from from a publication like the New York Times, which is 
regularly kind of like you know it's coming out in it comes it's a it's a publication that of that comes out in consistent support of uh US sort of foreign policy i mean it has some criticism from time to time but it's very much supporting the kind of and upholding the sort of US he- hegemony mm. and this is all very much linked to this sort of anti-china sort of hysteria and of course you know you get it's also very hypocritical from these so-called liberal publications like uh, like um, the New York Times. The New York Times wants to depict itself as like you know we're we're for liberal democracy and democratic values, but ultimately they're complicit in encouraging an authoritarian government like the Indian government to conduct a raid on uh, on 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 journalism. And so I think you know they're. Uh, there has actually been a protest outside the New York Times organized by progressive Indian activists and also, um, journalists, um, you know, calling them out for this, for this. And I think, you know, the hypocrisy, I think, is, I think the, the hypocrisy of this, I think, is beyond the pale in a lot of ways because, you know, the, the, the New, um, the New York Times can't have this moral high ground on, uh, on democratic values and critiquing the um, the authoritarianism of the Chinese government when it is, you know, it is in a sense, it's literally encouraged this attack um, uh, on journalism in India. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about the auto um, workers now or a bit later in the show? We, we might have to go, we'll go straight to a news story. Uh, well, no, no, go straight to an announcement and then we'll go through the Green Left Activist calendar. So, yeah, stay, stay tuned for the Green Left Activist calendar after this short break. back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR and in time for the activist calendar. Jacob, are you going to do it? Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. Here here we go. So until Monday, October 30th, there's going to be an exhibition by Ron Guy. It's called Art Not War, and that's going to be at the Le Monde Backroom uh, Gallery at 225 Nicholson Street, Brunswick East. Friday, October 6th, which is today, there's an exhibition. Um, it's uh, called Papulu Ku Nien Jiki, and that, that means seeing houses. Uh, that's going to be from 6 to 9 p.m. at 35 Emma Street uh, in Collingwood, and there's information and um, booking link with that that you can have a look at. There's also going to be a forum on on Melissa Lukachenko, Torching the Colonial Myth at 6pm at the Wheeler Centre at 176 Little Lonsdale Street in the city. Tomorrow, Saturday, October the 7th, there's going to be a, a fundraiser, live music for Latin American struggles from 11am to 5pm, the Catalyst Social Centre, 146 Sydney Road in Coburg. And there's going to be a rally, a national day of action to stop black debts in custody, 1 p.m. State Library, Swanson Street in the city. The following day on Sunday, October 8th, there's going to be a housing justice summit at 1 p.m. It's going to be online, but also you can hook in in person if you'd like to. 
the location to come in person would be the Resistance Center, level 5407 Swanson Street in the city, opposite RMIT. There's also going to be a rally that we mentioned before, um, end the cruelty, permanent visas for all now. That is going to be, that refugee rally is going to be at 2 p.m. at the State Library on Swanson Street in the city. Also on Sunday is going to be an APEN fundraiser dinner at 6 p.m. at the Layla uh, reception at 451 Sydney Road in Brunswick. Tuesday, from Tuesday, October the 10th to Thursday, October the 19th, there's going to be uh, a, th- uh, a show, um, a theatre show called Wake at 7 p.m. at the Italian Social Club 71 to 79 Kyle Road in Altona North. Wednesday on October 11th, there's going to be a protest, Bring Refugees from PNG to Australia at 11 a.m. at the Langham Hotel, number one, Southgate Avenue, South Bank. On Saturday, October 14th, there's going to be a con- uh, like a music gig out on the weekend, it's called, at 12 noon at Seaworks 82 Nelson Place in Williamstown. And on Saturday, the following Saturday, October 21st, there's going to be uh, music. It's called Beats of No Nation. It's going to be at 8 p.m. at the Max Watts um, at the Walk Arcade, that which is on 125 Swanson Street in the city. Uh, Thursday, 26th of October to Sunday, 29th of October, there is the there's going to be the Palestinian Film Festival. So there's information and booking link that you can um, look up and book your tickets. Friday, the uh, Friday, October the 27th is Palestine National Day, which is going to be at 5:30 p.m. at Federation Square, Swanson Street in the city. And we're, we're, we just played a song from Les Thomas, and we're going to be interviewing him in a couple of minutes. So stay tuned for that. But on Sunday, October 29th. We've got Les Thomas, All My Friends Are Superstars, his album launch at 3 p.m. at Wesley Ann, which is on 250 High Street in Northcote. And then lastly, uh, on Friday, November 10th, there's going to be the Green Left Comedy Debate, which is a fundraiser for Green Left. The title is We Should Welcome Our New AI Overlords. We've got MC, um, MCing the event is comedian Tom Ballard. That's going to be at 6 p.m. Um, and for an 8 p.m. start. There's going to be dinner, bar at the Fitzroy Town Hall at 201 Napier Street in Fitzroy. So we'll be back after a short break with Les Thomas, uh, singer-songwriter, activist. So stay tuned. You are listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au.
3CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And now we have Les Thomas joining us on the show. Les Thomas is a singer-songwriter, grassroots activist and storyteller from NAM. And his music has always been in solidarity with the oppressed, refugees, migrants, the dispossessed, socially excluded and marginalised peoples. And a good a good proportion of his live performances have been at rallies, at picket lines, and on the back of trucks at protests. Good to have you back on the show, Les. Thanks, Chloe. I really appreciate you having me on, on the launch day for the new album. Yeah, it's very exciting. Tell us about your new album, All My Friends Are Superstars, that's being launched soon. We just played one of your songs um, for listeners to have a listen to. It was, um, Yeah, it was really good. Thank you, thank you. Um, so the album's been um, several years in the works, um, titled, uh, as you said, All My Friends Are Superstars, kind of in tribute to um, the amazing music community that, that sort of surrounds me uh, in this part of the world. And, um, yeah, I've been working on it with my friend and producer Stephen Grady, and, um, yeah, it, it includes 11 songs across many, many different themes. Um, so, yeah, some of them being political in nature, some of them being a lot um, more personal and everything in between, really, because the personal is political, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, um, today's the big day where um, it starts um, getting out into the world and hopefully um, getting a life of its own. I, I, I've been getting great responses from people who have been listening so far and, um getting behind it in the form of supporting my um, possible campaign and so on. And um, I have you to thank um, as, as a show that uh, helped to drum up support for that. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to releasing um, or doing a launch for the album on the 29th of October at the Wesleyan in Northcote, followed by an extensive East Coast tour with around about um, 12 different uh, dates up the East Coast to Brisbane and back. So, yeah, it's uh, an exciting time in my musical life. The last time I released a full-length album was literally 10 years ago. I have released multiple singles since then, but, um, yeah, an album is a big deal. Yeah, and we, um, Les, we, um, we just, um, before we started interviewing you, we played the song Bring Down Babylon, and um, I guess I want to kind of, we want to kind of hear to... Um, about the background to this song, or even some of your some of your other songs that we might potentially play afterwards. Yeah, so bring down Babylon um, basically is in a similar tradition to uh, you know what you, what you might hear um, people like Bob Marley sing about. It's about those systems of corruption and oppression um, that hold people down. So. You know, systems of greed, uh, racism, sexism, and, um, yeah, homophobia, transphobia, 
And I think basically I, I wanted a song that I could sing that that made me feel good and connected with, you know, those of us who resist um, oppression. I, I think social movements um, really do benefit from having uh, a kind of soundtrack. Not that I'm sort of claiming that this is you know, <laughs> the soundtrack, but um, yeah, uh, it's in that sort of gospel um, idiom uh, as well. And I got some great help with um, backing vocals in this song from a gospel singer by the name of Sakari Greenwood, who's based in Los Angeles. And I think it has um, a lot of that sound that, that um, was so important to things like the civil rights movement, where the black church, for example, gave that sense of spiritual sustenance to the struggle and just that energy to keep going in the face of adversity. So, yeah, Babylon is um, everything that I guess uh, we would agree is wrong in this world and we need to fight that. Yeah, definitely. Les, I was watching a video of, it's called Behind the Making of All My Friends Are Superstars, your album, and on it you spoke about the role of music and what that means to you. Can you share this with listeners? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, th- there is a little bit of a video on, on my YouTube channel um, that was shot on the day when we went into Newmarket Studios in North Melbourne um, to record the title track uh, for the album. Um, this was the last song that was written for the album, and it's basically a celebration of my music community, and I, I guess I've been um, pretty deeply involved for quite a long time now through running things like um, the Unpaved Songwriter Sessions, where that started back in 2013. Um, I'd invite six different original singer-songwriters to perform in the round style, sharing their songs and stories and so on. And doing something like that, you really do get to know a lot of different people. And you see um, the art and the creativity and the energy that they bring, and you form friendships, and you see um, all these new friendships, new bands, new projects that come out of that as well. So it's a really inspiring part of my life. And I think, you know, this is living culture, uh, and, and um, yeah, it's something that I really, really value. Um, the song also goes into um, a particular verse um, about um, what music means to me and my dad, who has very advanced dementia at this stage, and music and singing songs together is the one way that we're able to um, really communicate on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, music... It does uh, sort of transcend in many ways. It occupies a space in our memories and in our minds um, that, that, that is very, very permanent and um, powerful. Yeah, and... Um, and Thanks uh, for sharing that, that Les, with us. And um, I guess you've been campaigning for refugee rights for many years and you'll be performing at the Refugee Rally this Sunday. And can you talk a bit about the rally and why we need to strengthen the refugee movement? 
Yeah, um, it has been an awfully long time, and that really, really saddens me. Um, yeah, since at least the uh, introduction of mandatory detention, uh, I've been kind of marching with, with my comrades and um, writing articles. It's more recently that, you know, the, the music side has come into effect since 2013 because of... Um, Trevor Grant specifically, who many of your listeners hopefully know. He was a great refugee advocate. Mm-hmm. But I think um, events like Sunday's protests are so important for highlighting the ongoing uh, denial of basic human rights. Um, the fact that you've got so many people, 10,000 people left in limbo. Also, you know, bringing to attention all of these secretive deals um, that the Australian government tries to get away with um, relatively very, very poor countries like uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, You know, it's a gross obscenity and, as we know, abuse thrives in secrecy. So I think, you know, being at rallies like this is about bearing witness and about um, really highlighting... Uh, what is actually going on and expressing our solidarity um, with those people who are still detained or who who are living in a situation um, that is extremely difficult with no certainty and no security in their lives. Yeah, um, we want to thank you, Les, for not just coming on the show, but you know, thanks for your tireless work as an activist because music is very important in raising awareness and raising hope and your album represents you know, the importance of collective action because you did include so many people in the making of it and I think that's quite powerful um, makes your music meaningful for everyone, everyone can relate to it so um, Thanks Chloe, I appreciate that and I, I feel like you know nothing can be achieved individually, like this record might have my name on it um, but, yeah, I, I don't work in isolation. I'm very grateful for all the support that I have, uh, the many, many people who, who I walk um, with uh, in these campaigns or, or um, projects. You know, I, I think, yeah, it, it's a matter of the work of uh, thousands and millions that, that change things ultimately, you know. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, it, it's not a big deal for me to... Um, make my contribution uh, how I can, and I encourage everybody else to do the same. Great, 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 Les. Um, yeah, and anyone um, who is not familiar with Les Thomas's music, we encourage you to have a listen. Um, you know, I think anyone who is working hard to build people's movements for change will um, enjoy listening to the lyrics. And before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to tell listeners, Les? Um, so if listeners do get a chance today to um, check out the, the new music, um, I would absolutely love that. Um, sharing is caring, as they say. So, yeah, if you Google Les Thomas and also Bandcamp, you're most likely to find all my friends are superstars. I'm all over um, social media and I'm keen basically, yeah, to reach new listeners and to, you know, spread the word and, and, um, yeah, it's all about getting it out there and uh, hopefully I'll see a bunch of you um, on Sunday at the uh, rally rally in support of refugees. Um, So, 
yeah, I, I think, you know, we need to form like-minded um, groups of people and, uh, yeah, see what we can do together. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, the people who support my music, you know, are basically similar, similar to me and, yeah, we can... Let, let's um, yeah build a great rally and, and and yeah share some music. That sounds great, Les, and we'll be we'll we'll be there at the refugee rally, two p.m. State Library. So we'll we'll see you see you at the rally. Wonderful. Okay, take care and solidarity to all the listeners. And um, yeah, can't wait to see you on Sunday. Cheers. Cheers, solidarity, Les. You were just listening to Les Thomas, who is an activist and musician based here in Nam, and talking about his new album, All My Friends Are Superstars, um, and that's being launched right now. Um, there's actual launch taking place at 3 p.m. Sunday on October 29th, and we'll have a, a link to the event uh, when we podcast this show. We'll be back after a short break, so stay tuned for more Green Left on 3CR. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM, and we're getting to uh, the end of our program. But there's a few things I wanted to talk about before we um, before we finish. The first thing I just want to announce: um, listeners are obviously aware of, and we announced this several times throughout the program. But there's going to be a Stop Black Deaths in Custody rally at mm-hmm. 1 p.m. at the State Library this Saturday, and this is part of a national day of action that has been called by Lydia Forp and the Black Sovereign Movement. Now, FreeCR is actually going to be at the rally from 1 to 2 p.m., and they'll be recording it live. So if you're not able to make the rally by any chance, um, you could be driving on the road uh, um, for work or something, you can actually tune in to the rally live from 1, 1 to 2 p.m., and they'll be capturing all the speeches um, and so on. So, yeah, I, I definitely recommend if you're not able to be at the rally, you can listen in on FreeCR. Another thing I just wanted to sort of mention, and there's actually been quite a big, probably one of the biggest um, one. There's actually a, a, a serious sort of ongoing strike happening right now in the United States, um, and you can read a bit more about it in Green Left. We've just published an article by Malik Mia, and this is a strike being led by members of the United Auto Workers in the and, and it's against the so-called free big car makers, which includes Ford, General Motors, and Stella. Antis. And it's actually entered in its third week. And there's probably a few things that are quite significant about this strike. And 
One of them is that actually Biden had actually joined the strike. Now, I have no sort of illusions in Joe Biden, but this is actually significant politically in a lot of ways because he's actually the first sitting US president who has joined actually a picket line. And uh, apparently Trump also arrived the following day and visited a non-union plant, um, uh, blasting the union leaders and declaring himself the saviour and only hope for auto workers. But I think this... The fact that both uh, Joe Biden and Trump kind of visited actually exposes the kind of stakes a lot in this um, protest, uh, in this strike. And I think it also, I think, demonstrates, I think, the fact that, um, you know, the fact that industrial action is very much on the uptick in the United States and the fact that a president like, the, the sitting president like Joe Biden feels the need to kind of respond to it, I think shows the kind of stakes that are at. Um, that are that are coming out of this uh, dispute, and I think it's definitely a very important one in a lot of ways. So all the solidarity to the United um, Auto Workers, and yeah, you can read more about this um, on, in the pages of Green Left if you look up the article or United States Biden and Trump visit car plants as auto strikes heat up. Yeah, we are just about coming to the end of the show, so thank you everyone for tuning in. And thank you to our, our guest, Brenna Dempsey from Monash Uni um, branch of the NTU, for, um, also Ian Rintoul from the Refugee Action Coalition, and Les Thomas, singer-songwriter, grassroots activist and storyteller. Um, and also, if you do like the work we do and you want us to continue to do it, please think about becoming a subscriber. Go to greenleft.org.au slash support. You can subscribe for as little as $5 a month. Uh, Jacob, good to good to present with you on the show this morning. Yeah, so um, I think it's been a great program, and um, yeah. yeah, I just want to make probably one last plug. You know, if you support the work that Green Left does, um, consider becoming a supporter of Green Left, and you can become a supporter for as low as five dollars a month um, for the online edition. And just go on the website greenleft.org for au forward slash support. Yeah, and um, stay tuned for the next show on 3CR, Left After Breakfast. Have a good weekend and hopefully see you all at some of the rallies happening over the weekend. Bye. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers from the slumbers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last ends the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions. Serve all masses. Arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that crap.